Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, and I'm your host. And today we've got a sort of a special edition of the show. And the reason it's a special edition is because, again, I had somebody ask me a question that I wanted to respond to. And, and I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks since I was asked the question, thinking about pulling it together and how to look at some things. And then in the meantime, somebody made a comment on something that I had posted on Facebook that kind of dovetails with this. And so it became, all right, I think this is the way that I'm going to go at this. So the question was, I had somebody ask me, so John, do you believe that people who are non-believers end up in hell? Um, Because we're all children of God, and I wouldn't send one of my children to hell. So I didn't give an answer at that moment. I I gave a a sketch of an answer, but not not a real answer to it. And so I want to respond to that. And then a little later, you'll see how that thinking sort of plays out in a very common way in among non-believers, frankly, the way they feel about and believe about God. And so let's get after this a little bit. So the, the, the question is, so if I wouldn't send one of my children to a place like hell, how could God possibly do such a thing when we're all his children? Well, it begins with a false premise. And the false premise is, is that we're all God's children. That's not actually what Scripture says at all. What it says, if, if you read John 1, the first 18 verses of John 1 are the, are the most beautiful and magnificent, actually, um, words of the entire Bible. Those 18 verses are just transcendent in everything that they say. But I want to focus particularly on one thing, and that is is that when Jesus came into the world, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he became the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And if you follow what John says there, what he's saying is, is that, that the true light was coming into the world. That true light is Jesus. And he came to his own people, and his own people knew him not. But to who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, became, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Well, John didn't make that argument up, actually. That argument, you'll find it very clearly in John 3. And that is Nicodemus comes. He's a Pharisee. He is one of the learned teachers of Israel. And he comes to Jesus in the night to say, There's something extraordinary about you. We see something. We know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus says, we see something here. We believe something here. We receive you as a rabbi. It's a pretty extraordinary statement, frankly, for Nicodemus to make, because rabbis were people who had gone to the best academies. They had been taught by great rabbis. They had gone to specific rabbinic schools. Jesus had not. Now we do see in Luke's gospel, we see him in the temple 
when his parents have come, when he's 12 years old, and he's arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees at that point. So we see that Jesus has already impressed some people. And so when, when Nicodemus says these things, it's not flattery. I don't believe it's flattery at all. I believe Nicodemus is, is honestly there seeking something. Who is this guy? What is he? So Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus is a little bit taken off by that because he has no earthly idea what that means. And so he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was confused. Had no earthly idea what Jesus said to him the rest of that conversation when he talked about being born again. I've said this before. Nicodemus won the birth lottery. He was born into the family of God by being born a Jew. He had something to risk, something to gain with this whole being born again thing, but Jesus required it in order to enter the kingdom of God or to see the kingdom of God. Well, those who enter the kingdom are those who are the children of the king. And so we are not children of God by virtue of, as my mentor used to say, sucking air on the planet. We are not children of God simply because we bear his likeness. We're doppelgangers at some level, I guess. But that's not children of God. We are not okay calling him father. And Jesus will say to other people, when, when the time comes, I'll have to say, go away. I never knew you, even though they had done things that the children of God and the disciples of Jesus had done. He says, I don't know you. You're workers of iniquity, which is sin. And so he, he, will, he says, well, they'll be sent away. Well, we thought we did all the right things. And, and so Jesus is saying, but, but you were never God's children. You did them for the wrong reasons. You didn't do them for the glory of God. You didn't believe in my name. What does it mean? We've got to deal with that because I can't move on from this whole idea of children of God without dealing with what does it mean to believe in Jesus' name. And, and what it means to believe in Jesus' name is to believe that he is who he said he was. That he is the unique son of God. Unique in that he was fully God and fully man. He is God. And that's part of John 1 as well. But he is, he is a separate person, but of the same substance. And so he and God are inextricably one. They're not two. There's not God and Jesus. There's God. And that being is manifest in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and those three are inextricably tied with one another, one substance with one another, which means that whatever the Father is, is what Jesus is. We are told right from the very beginning in Genesis that we come from dust, and to dust we shall return. We are reminded of our own mortality and our own createdness. Jesus is not a created being. He's begotten of the Father. 
That's a totally different concept. It applies to Jesus. So he's not a created being. He always was with the Father. So to believe in Jesus' name is to believe first that he and the Father are one and the same. Jesus won't feel one way about you and the Father feel a different way about you. That's not the way it works. They're the same. We see that very clearly in um, Revelation 4 and 5. In Revelation 4, worship happens to the one who is seated on the throne. Revelation 5, a lamb looking like it was slain appears before the throne, takes from the one on the throne the scrolls, and when he does, then all of heaven erupts in the same worship, the same words, as in Revelation 4 that was directed to the Father. So it's Jesus, God, same thing. So there's no division between them in any way. So to believe in Jesus' name is first to believe that he is uniquely a son of the Father, the only begotten son of the Father, not created. There was not a time when Jesus was not. That is what we believe. To believe in Jesus' name is to accept that because he says, I and the Father are one. We believe that without becoming dualists, without believing in two gods. We believe in one God. So that's the first thing that, that's required to believe in Jesus' name. The next thing that we have to believe in Jesus' name in order to become children of God is to believe first with Paul that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. If we accept those two truths, that God is perfect and he is holy in every single way, and that holiness that desire for holiness, which won't compromise with evil or sin, must be propitiated. So our sinfulness can't come into the kingdom of God. We can't bring that with us. We've got to deal with sin before we can come into the presence of God. And again, Revelation 5, what happens there is John, the one who writes the, the revelation, is told that there's the, the, he sees the one on the throne with the scrolls, and what it says is no one, no being, was found in heaven, on earth, or under the earth who could take those scrolls. And he began to weep over that. And then the lamb looking like it was slain appears before the throne and is able to take those scrolls. Only one in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So that one appears. So that one takes the scrolls. Well, until that moment, no one could approach the throne. And so that one is unique and different. And so what has to happen then is in order for us to receive even the revelation that John received, even Jesus says the revelation of his being that Nicodemus had received requires something more. And that is, our sin is a barrier to knowledge. Our sin is a barrier to life. Our sin is a barrier to God being our Father properly. It's got to be dealt with. So the second thing we have to believe, after believing Jesus and the Father are one, is that we have to believe that we're not. <laughs> that we're separated from the Father. Irretrievably so. There's nothing we can do on our own 
to get back in. So we need a Savior. In the Old Testament, they needed sacrifices, and those sacrifices had to be repeated every single day. They had to be repeated every time you sinned. In order to make confession and repentance, you had to go, confess to the priest, and present the appropriate sacrifice for your sin. And that had to be done every time you sinned. And so the fire was constantly burning in front of the temple in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. And even then, it requires yet another day. And that's the day of atonement. And so that day then has to happen once a year when all the people come and there's special sacrifices and ceremonies made that day. And so that day becomes then the day of atonement for the people for the sins that they can't get atonement for because there are some sins for which there is no atonement. So they have to hope on that day that they receive that forgiveness. Well, since AD 70, nobody's made a sacrifice because the temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So there has to be a hope of proper repentance within Judaism and hopefully God will forgive us. Well, Jesus came so that we'd have more than a fond hope that that happens. He came that we would have certainty, that our sins are forgiven, and that we have eternal life, and we are indeed his children. And so the next part of believing in his name is, is after believing and understanding that we're not his children, and that we've been separated from him by our sins, we have to find the propitiation, the sacrifice that will atone for our sins and allow us to be restored to fellowship and relationship with God. And that's why, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not see death, but have everlasting life. And so that's the reason John 3.16 is that important, because it's a recognition that, that without him I have no hope, but, but God sent his son, and he came willingly. It's not child abuse. God didn't send his son here to die in, uh, and receive the punishment for our sins on him without his willing acceptance of that job. And so Jesus came here willingly and laid down his life. And we know that he did because he prayed that this cup would pass from him. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And he goes and he prays on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so his death that he didn't deserve, an innocent man, the only innocent man in the history of the world, dies on a cross at the hands of other men. And that one is God. hard to believe that on Good Friday. On Easter morning, that is a different idea. Because when Jesus comes back from the dead, we know something. We know that the Father accepted his sacrifice because he's the first and only one who's been resurrected from the dead on his own merits. And then after that, when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, when, he, when Jesus ascends to the Father, goes up into the clouds and is taken up to the Father, we don't see what happens next. We don't see it, that is, until Revelation 5, when John gets the vision of the end of the ascension. What begins on earth with Jesus going into the clouds finishes when the Lamb, looking like it was slain, appears before the throne. 
And so we know from the resurrection and from Revelation 5, we know that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable for all time because while he's at the throne, suddenly you see this gathering of 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel and then a multitude that can't be counted of all the tribes and languages and peoples of the earth. They're gathered there singing praises to the one on the throne and to the Lamb who has made this possible. And all things, all power is given to him and before him every knee will bow. And so when we talk about being children of God, we talk about we believe in him and therefore we have life in his name. And so that's what it means to believe in his name, that the name of Jesus, literally the Lord saves, is our truth. And that name of Jesus is our hope. It is our life. And he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And then we are to become like him. Our attitudes are to be changed. Our lives are to be changed in such a way that we reflect his glory in the same way that Jesus reflected the glory of the Father. And so to become children of God is a glorious and wonderful event. It's not a one-time thing. It's all of your life. It's a process of becoming more and more like him and less and less of who you were before that. And that's why Jesus says it's all unlocked only by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be born again. But the problem is, as many people have pointed out before me, we leak. And so we constantly have to be refilled with the Holy Spirit because we leak. And so he's constantly changing who we are, what we are, largely by what we think. And the way we think, we, we have to think about things in a different way. Our minds are geared in such a way that we think about the world in, in certain ways. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, for instance. Those kinds of ideas that say the only way I can succeed is to climb on the backs of other people and to, to make sure that I don't lose the battles. But Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the world wants to conform us into a certain pattern and a certain image. And Paul says, no, you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that sort of wraps us back to where the other thing that I wanted to mention is. And that is, I had a conversation on, on uh, Facebook, and I made some comments about the goodness of God in creating all the things that make this world a wonderful place, um, like our domestic animals was the sort of the, the place where I was speaking. And in, as we're in the middle of this COVID thing, somebody responded and said, I wish he were that good, but he created this COVID virus and it's possible my mother's going to die from it and I'll never get to see her again. Well, here's a reality. And here's something that I think goes along with, my, with that previous point about, about we're not all children of God. And then how do you deal with them with the problem of, of pain and suffering and evil? And then how do you finish that question that my friend asked about sending your children to hell. Well, first, God's not going to send his children to hell. 
We just established that, that if you become a child of God, then you have life in his name. So, but it still begs the question, right, of, of how could he send those that are created in his own image to a place like hell? C.S. Lewis actually had the right answer, I believe, for that. And, and that is, is that Lewis's response to that was, was is that there are two kinds of people in this world. One kind of person says to God, thy will be done. The other person is someone to whom God says, thy will be done. It's not him choosing us to go there in rejecting his son and refusing to believe in his name. We've chosen our destiny. By not choosing to be with him, we've chosen an, al chosen an alternative destiny. We have a choice to make. And the choice is, do we choose life? Or do we choose the opposite of life? That's been the choice that God's laid before his people again and again and again, beginning in Genesis 3. In the garden, there's a tree in the midst of the garden, and that's called the tree of life. God says, you can eat from that if you like. And then he points to another tree and he said, you see that tree? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from that tree. So which tree do you think we ate from? We ate from that tree. We had a choice. We could choose life or we could choose something else. And we chose the something else. We chose the knowledge of good and evil because of the temptation that if you do that, you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, which is Moses' valedictory address for the people before he dies, he lays that same choice before them. He puts curses on one spoken from one mountain, blessings from another, and says, you choose which of these two you want. Joshua then does the same thing at the end of his life. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'll set these two things before you today. Choose life. It's the same choice we make with Jesus. We're going to choose life by believing in his name and allowing him to infuse us with his Holy Spirit and allow our minds to be transformed so that we see things the way God sees them rather than be conformed to the image and the model of the world. We have a choice to make. And so it's not God's choice that any of us would go there. That's the reason he sent his son. God so loved the world. That's what it says. The cosmos in Greek, it, it's, he loved everything. Because he created it. And he wanted it to have a certain kind of a destiny. But from the beginning, we chose this other destiny. Instead of life, we chose the knowledge of good and evil. And so, when we look and we blame God for the evil things in the world, it fails to take seriously the actual story of the Bible. Which is God's constantly given his people choices. To choose life. We've constantly, from Genesis 3 forward, had life laid before us. That path of life. And, and we reject that path. Again and again and again. So much so that his own, those who were his children, called by his name, did not recognize or receive Jesus. In fact, they rejected him to the point that they demanded that he be crucified on a cross. It's not a condemnation of the Jews. Look around. How many people do you know? How many people do you see in the world today who reject Jesus? The way that conversation that I just mentioned on Facebook began was a guy posted simply on a Facebook page about dogs that we all share in common. 
he posted the words, he is risen. And it infuriated people. That is how it devolved from there to my comment about God's goodness and the challenge about evil and blaming God for evil. From Genesis 3 forward, humanity has again and again and again rejected God, rejected good in favor of something else. And there's only the antithesis of good. When we reject good, we haven't chosen better. We haven't chosen slightly worse. We've chosen the opposite of good. There's two poles. That's it. It's either good, which is what God wants, the right way, or there's the opposite of that. And so we all have a choice to make. We have a choice to make minute by minute what we're going to do. And we can choose the good or we cannot choose the good. But ultimately, the choice is ours, as it always has been, from Genesis 3 forward. So as Christians, we should pray for an outpouring of the Spirit where people will actually see, recognize, receive the good and choose the good, choose Jesus Christ. We have to present the gospel in such a way that it seems good to them, that it's good news, that it's that God loved the world, that he gave his son, that in spite of the fact that we were enemies of the cross, Paul says, that, that he died for us. And we know that he did because he prayed for those who were persecuting and crucifying. So it's not that God chooses to send people to hell. It's that people choose not to be with him. It's a simple choice. We either choose Jesus, who is life, or we choose the opposite of life. There's not, a, there's not a gradation between life and death. There's either life or there's death. And so when we choose Jesus, we choose life. And the life was in him. It's life that was the victor over death at the grave on Easter. We can choose that or we can choose some other path. But all paths don't lead to the same place. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's a glorious, wonderful, and beautiful thing. There's no reason to ever choose any other path. He's the only one who ever was resurrected from the dead. So we can choose his path, or we can choose some other path. But only that one provably leads to life. Thank you. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. Again, I'm John Green, the host of Faith Seeking Understanding. Glad you were here today. If you've got questions, please feel free to respond um, on the Facebook page for Faith Seeking Understanding or here on this page. And I'll be happy to take up those in future episodes.